Welcome to The Healing Catalyst. I'm your host, Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh, and I know that Ayurveda can transform your life. How? Because it transformed mine. And the best part is, it's easier than you think. Your body has exactly what it needs to heal itself. All you need to do to enhance its healing power is to start practicing healthy routines, which I can teach you. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple, ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. Let's get started. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 14. Well, hello, hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. Happy New Year. I hope that you all had some time to rest and reflect over the holidays. And so here we are in a new year, a new energy, in fact, the age of Aquarius. And I really spent some time over the holidays thinking about this new energy and the energy that I want to bring into every aspect of my life, whether it's my relationships, my health, my creativity, my space, my home, or my work. And so with that in mind, I've decided to bring this new energy of this age of Aquarius and this new year of 2021 to my podcast as well. So next month, as I start the second season of my podcast, which I can't believe, Look for some new things surrounding this podcast, including my new Healing Catalyst Collective, specifically for my podcast community of listeners, that's you, where you'll get access to special resources that go along with every episode of the podcast. And you'll get invites to webinars with me where I'll be teaching you live more about Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, and I'll be answering your questions live. So be sure to look out for that starting next month when season two of my podcast kicks off. And so going along with this new energy, I decided to do something a little different for this episode of my podcast. I asked my friend, Kelly Tennant, the host of The Kelly Show and also the producer of my show, to sit down for a conversation with me so that I could share a little more about myself and my journey with all of you. We get into so many topics in our conversation, limiting beliefs and how they manifest and how they manifest and continue to show up for me, social and cultural expectations that I've experienced throughout my life, my own personal becoming story as a woman, a doctor, a wife, and a mother, and following my own path in medicine. And the most vulnerable conversation of how I had to really sit with and sit in the shit of my negative beliefs about myself. And I have to say it was very, very vulnerable, a really vulnerable space to be in. But I trust Kelly. And so I let her lead the conversation. And to be honest, she really asked me some very difficult questions. A lot of questions that I was 
pretty hesitant to answer because I felt like I would be revealing so much about myself. But I realized that's actually what I should be doing. The more that I share my story and my experiences, the more that you can learn from what I've learned. And so I really hope that you enjoy this episode and that it serves you in some small way. Here's my heart to heart with my friend, Kelly Tennant. The thing that strikes me about you that I really want both of our communities to understand is that with all of the success and accolades and people you touch and the woman you have become as a, a doctor and a mother and a partner and all of these things, there are still these underlying beliefs and stories that you carry just like everyone else. And I think for me, it was so refreshing talking to you last week because I was like, thank God <laughs> she's not perfect. Because I think that women, especially my age right now, I'm 33. We have this generation and I would love for you to speak to yours of people who believe they need to be perfect. And so we look to other women, women who are more accomplished, women who are older and think, oh, well, she has it all together. She's perfect. She's a doctor. She's healing people. I'm doing something wrong. I'm not good enough. And that mm -hmm. is such a fucking lie. So yes. I would love to know what, what has been coming up for you in terms of those patterns and those lies about yourself and your experience. Oh my gosh, where to start? That's like a, <laughs> a whole ball of stuff to talk about. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think that it's something that I probably felt when I was your age. I'm turning 50 this year, you know? So I definitely felt that all through my life, all through my career. And I think it comes up no matter what age you are or how much you've, quote, done, you know, whatever that means or how you've succeeded or whatever, how, whatever the measures are of all of that. I think that's just human nature to have these underlying sort of core limiting beliefs that start when you're very young. Right. And I don't know that that's something that ever, it's not like it's a destination. It's a journey of always unwrapping it and dealing with it in different ways as you go. Right. So a limiting belief may show up one way when you're in your 20s or your 30s or, you know, when I was in college or in medical school or then when I had children and it's showing up differently today, but it's all coming from the same place. You know, so I don't think that age or accomplishments or life experience necessarily gets rid of those. I think that life experience does change how you handle it and your perspective on the perfection or the beliefs that you have, the limiting beliefs that are underneath. So there's, there's just so much there to unpack that mm -hmm. I'm not even sure where to start. <laughs> but that I would say is sort of a general sort of feeling of, of what it's like. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I just published my first book and released it in August. And, you know, that was a complete you know, shit show in a way with the pandemic and having, you know, it's a long process to write it. I self-published it and it was supposed to be done much earlier. I had all these health issues. I broke my arm. I had shingles, like all, you know, in the midst of the pandemic. And then, you know, quickly uh, got my book out because I really wanted to get it out into the world. And I will tell you, like for the week before I was supposed to, it was supposed to go live. 
I was like, oh God, I can't do this. I can't do this. People are going to think I'm crazy. People are going to think that, you know, what I'm writing about is like silly or, you know, my perspective on the subject is just so elementary. You know, I had all those limiting beliefs coming up of you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't know enough. And I literally, there were, there were points where I was like, ah, forget it. It's okay. I wrote it. I don't have to put it out in the world. And my husband was sort of like, are you nuts? Like, <laughs> have you been, have you been drinking? Like, what's your problem? You're not going to release it. Well, you've got to be crazy. He's like, you're releasing it. I don't care. I'll push, you know, it goes, I'll push the buttons for it to go live if you don't do it. Oh so. man. I love that. You got to love a good partner who uh, pushes mm -hmm. you to your boundaries and edges. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is amazing because I look at you and I think, I love your perspective. I listen to your show, um, not only because you're a client, be because I'm so interested in the things that you teach. I am a student of Ayurveda. I love understanding the body and healing. And I think that the thing that sets you apart that I really appreciate is that you take very complex issues and make them simple and digestible so that someone who is brand new to this world can understand it and implement things. And you're telling me that you feel like this is too elementary. People aren't going to like this. Is that not hilarious that that's one of the things that I admire most about you? And that is such a severe pain point for you. It is. But, you know, that is actually that has more to do with me and feeling like I'll get judged by my peers. I know that you and I were talking last week and um, when we were preparing for this interview and I mentioned the fact that, you know, one of the hardest things for me when I walked away from Western medicine was, well, at the time that I did it, people thought I was absolutely like whacked. They thought it was crazy. Right. And I had a lot of self-judgment and it, it just played right into all of those limiting beliefs I've had since I was a child, right. That I've, you know, dealt with in different ways as I've gotten older, but it, it just went right back to that of feeling like, well, you know, people are going to think you're bananas for doing this. And like, this isn't really medicine and all of those judgments, especially because Western medicine is, is so dogmatic in the way that it's taught to physicians, the way that we're trained. Of course, that has changed since I was in medical school 20 something years ago. Right. But when I first made this switch, um, I had a lot of self-imposed judgment, even though my soul was telling me that this is the direction you're supposed to go in. This was why you went to medical school was not to practice Western medicine, but to practice Ayurvedic medicine and to teach it. Like I knew I had those downloads, you know, when I was in meditation, I had that, that knowing of my, my grandfather telling me, this is the way to go, you know, go in this direction. And so I knew that I needed to go this way, but what your heart and your soul say is very different than what your brain says a lot. Right. Yeah. And it's that tug of war. And so for me, that shift was something that took a long time. So, you know, like you were asking right at the beginning of this interview, you know, for me to go from where I was of having so much self judgment to where I am today, and it still creeps up, right. It was a long journey. It took a lot of effing work to do that. You know, it really did. It took years of introspection and self-study, you know, all of the yogic terms of Swadhyaya, which is self, self-study and, you know, looking at yourself and really understanding yourself for me to get to where I am spiritually and emotionally, 
not just where I am as far as, you know, what I'm doing in the world, but within myself. It's, mm. it's been a long journey. When did you start having these self-awarenesses and realizations come forward? Honestly, I think that I've always had them. You know, my sister, my mom and my dad would probably say to you that I've always sort of done things differently than most people um, and not in a really obvious, splashy way. I'm a, I'm a pretty introverted, sort of uh, observant person. I just sit back and watch everything and I kind of quietly go about, you know, about my business and what I need to do. And I would say that it wasn't something that I just decided like, okay, I'm going to make a splash about this. It was something that I just slowly have always done. I've always kind of done things my own way. And so I think that, you know, even when I was in high school, when I was in college, I always knew I wanted to do things a little bit differently. Like I knew that I probably would not go straight to medical school, even though I had decided that I was going to go to medical school, that that's what I wanted to do with my life. I knew that I was going to need to take some time off and, and explore other things. Um, and so, you know, back in that time for especially first generation South Asian women to not go straight from college to medical school, most of my peers who are South Asian were doing that. And it, they were all like, you're nuts. <laughs> my parents thought I was a little, you know, they're like, are you sure you want to do this? Um, you know, so I've never taken what you would say is the easy path or the straight path, because I think I've always known that I was meant to do other things as well. Um, and that I needed all these other life experiences. You know, I took seven years through medical school because I decided the summer between my first and second year would be a good time to get married and then have, you know, my first child and then have my second child Holy during medical shit. school, <laughs> you know, which is, again, it's not, it's not what most people do, but I think it's because I had this awareness that life is life. You have to live it as you go and do the best that you can. And I think that all of those life experiences actually have made me the person I am, obviously, but also have shaped my journey of going from Western medicine to Ayurvedic medicine. So mm -hmm. I think the awareness has always been there in these small like ways. I've always been interested in other healing traditions, like all through medical school. I used to study, you know, other healing traditions as much as I could, but I never really dove in deep because I didn't have the time do it. So, so there's so many things I want to ask you after that. That was mm -hmm. so good. So in terms of cultural impact and the way you were raised and the way your family and your parents probably viewed society and expectations. And these are the things, these are the things that you check off on the list in order to garner success and to have made mm -hmm. it. How have you balanced that cultural expectation and, and the familial aspect of things and also staying true to yourself and going on these different paths? I don't know. You know, I think from the outside, it probably looks like I've done a really good job, <laughs> but I can tell you along the way, I definitely didn't feel like that. And there were times where I was just like, why am I doing this? Like, what am I, am I crazy? Um, I think I'd be lying if I didn't say that that wasn't something that I was concerned with, you know, I think I'm, I'm human like anybody else. And I was very aware of how I was showing up in the world and what other people might or might not be thinking about me, but for whatever reason, it's never stopped me. Mm. <laughs> it's made my path a little bit harder. I've had a lot of angst, anxiety, 
you know, I've suffered from depression at points, you know, a lot of negative self-talk, but it's all been very internal. And it, for whatever reason, it transforms into me still putting myself out there externally in the world that then looks like I, you know, have had just like this interesting path that's been kind of easy, not easy, but it's just kind of all worked out, Mm -hmm. but it's been, it's been hard. It's really been hard and it's been very hard to balance family life, the expectations of growing up in a South Asian family, but also having married into a South Asian family and all of the stuff that comes along with that. And then also being a doctor and being in medicine, it's a lot to juggle. And there have been times where I'm just like, I don't know, I can't handle this anymore. You know, Um, I don't think it's been easy for me. How do you talk yourself off of that ledge when you get to that breaking point where you're like, oh God, I don't know what more I can do right now. You know, when I was younger, I would really struggle with that and try to find all kinds of ways to talk myself off the ledge, as you're saying. I will say that somewhere probably about 10 years ago, when my children started having health issues is when I started to shift how I dealt with things. I started to allow myself to just be in the shit, Mm. to be in the messiness of all of it, to be in the stress, um, the anxiety, the crappy feelings, because I think I started to learn that the only way out was through, right? It wasn't by pushing it down or by taking another path or like trying to get around it because it would just show up again. It's like those whack-a-mole yes. kind of things, like you try and get around it and then another one pops up. That's kind of, that's kind of how I think I, I dealt with, you know, my early adult life early in my training and my marriage. So like when I was in my twenties and early thirties, and then somewhere around when I turned 40, things started to change. It's not like that was the number it happened at, but that, that actually coincided with when my, both of my kids started having, having some health challenges. So it became more than just me. You know, I had, I was dealing with my own health issues a few years before that, which is why I, you know, left Western medicine and went to Ayurveda. And then it sort of was like, okay, well, let's really test you now. Let's see if you really believe in this Mm. and let's see if you can apply this, not just to yourself, but to two human beings that you love the most in this world. And so that's what I did. Mm. What do you think was scaring you most in your, your probably late teens and twenties in being in the shit and actually acknowledging and sitting with it? Probably the perceptions of perfection. You know, we, you know, I'm old enough to say, I mean, you know, I already said I'm turning 50 this year, so we didn't have cell phones and, the internet like this. I mean, the internet was just being developed at my college at the university of Chicago the year before I got there, like literally it started at the UC and Stanford and some other places. So that's how old I am, but that's also how different things were. Right. So I didn't have that added pressure, but I think there were these images of perfection that were in my own head, probably for a lot of different reasons, being first generation you know, South Asian immigrant sort of wanting to make it because of all the things my parents sacrificed to come to this country, being competitive and wanting to do my best. Are you competitive with others or yourself? 
I was more competitive with myself, but of course, you know, like back then, I mean, it's still true, I guess. You get ranked in your high school or whatever, all that stuff. Like, and I had to play the game to be able to, to get to where I wanted to go. I knew that I don't like competing with other people. I never have, but I knew I had to do it at that point. But I think probably the, the environments that I was in also sort of fostered this idea that you should be kind of perfect. Not that I know what that perfection is, but again, from the outside, looking at me, you know, most women who are South Asian, who are younger than me would say, oh, well, you've got everything. I mean, you, you got married, you, ha- you know, you got married to a South Asian man, you have two children, you're a doctor. Okay. Yeah. That's, that may all be true, but that doesn't mean that every, you know, the, the package you see on the outside is not always what you, what's going on on the inside. Mm-hmm. So and I tell my kids that a lot. I really, I really remind them of that because it's very easy to get sucked into this internet hole and the, you know, the Photoshop and the Instagram and all this stuff. I have a, I have a difficult relationship with social media. I'm on it. <laughs> I want to throw out my phone every day. <laughs> oh, believe me. I feel you. I want to know more about being a woman in the medical industry, working through Western medicine and medical school, and then leaving and going on a different path because we had talked about being taken seriously and this idea of perfection and anxiety around that because you keep having to live up to these standards so often put in place by men. Right. And I understand that from my Mm -hmm. TV background, I was usually the only woman around. It was all men. And so Mm -hmm. I've had to work really hard the last two years of breaking that. And I still, I mean, I'm very much the same perfectionist anxiety controlling Mm because I I want people to perceive me a certain way. And when they don't, I feel like I failed and I'm bad and now I'm not lovable. Like there's the train of, of emotions Mm -hmm. and thoughts, right? So I would love to know your experience as a woman in that, in that arena and how you have navigated it to this point. I'll be honest. I think when I first started um, medical school, I just wanted to get through. I'll be very honest. I was just like, I just need to put my head down and get through the shit. And also because I had both my kids in medical school, got married. I had so much going on. Like, Honestly, you know, and as, as self-aware as I am, I can say that for those seven years in medical school, I was not self-aware at all. Like I didn't know which way was effing up or down, or like, I didn't know what was going on. And so I don't know that I was as, um, clued in except maybe right before I graduated the year before, because I had taken um, some time off to have my second child. And I just needed to finish my last few rotations and just be done. And I got a lot of pushback from, from the, the medical school I was at. Um, they had been great all through. And then suddenly, like right before it was time for me to graduate, they like, it was, it was very obvious that it was because I was a woman, there were like more barriers being put up for me for whatever reason. So that was the first time I think I became aware Um, it was really when I was in residency that I really, really became aware of the differences in which, in, in how I was being perceived, even, um, relative to other women in my program and forget about, I mean, completely different than men. Cause I, I was in emergency medicine, which at the time was one of the hardest residencies to get into, you know, that was the time, the age of ER that show on, on TV. Mm -hmm. And so like all the med students wanted to be 
emergency medicine docs. I'm not saying that that's the reason I did it, but it was a very popular residency to apply to. And um, so it was very competitive and people who were in the programs were pretty cutthroat. And I know that it was very problematic that I had kids as a resident. It became really problematic. And that I think is when I really became aware. Now, how did I navigate it? Honestly, not very well. I just went along with it because I felt like I had to. Um, We didn't have the rules with, you know, number of hours worked or any of those, any of the, 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 the things that that have been put in place for residents now didn't exist when I was in training. Like that all came a few years after I was gone. Um, and so you just had to go along with it. It was sort of like hazing, you know, like fraternities and sororities, like at, at that time, you know, back again, back in that time, you know, where like everyone was sort of like, if, if we had to go through this, then you have to go through it too go through it. It was like a coming of age sort of initiation, if you want to say. So I know that I didn't handle it very well, um, being a woman in medicine. It wasn't until later, probably when my children were a little older and I started sort of waking up from the stupor that I was in (laughs) um, and changed the direction of my life that I started to tap back into the awareness I had just in general when I was younger. But then really about these differences between how men and women are perceived in medicine. Um, And I know that that actually also just added to my paranoia or my, you know, limiting beliefs about how would I be received as a woman switching from Western medicine to Ayurvedic medicine of like, oh, she can't hack it. She's too weak. Like all that nonsense that, you know, I thought in my head and even to a certain degree still think, you know, that's when that all started to sort of creep back into my consciousness. Mm. When you have those moments, I talk about this on my show quite a bit of, I feel like I'm having this internal battle. There's the, the limiting beliefs and the old patterns and stories, what I call usually the voice. It's just like, ah, you know, and you can't get out of that spiral of like noise. And then there's Mm. the intuition and knowing and understanding your strengths and your belonging and all of that. And so I feel like I have moments where they're just battling back and forth and there's like a duel happening inside of my body and it can be super overwhelming to really tap in and understand what is mine and what I no longer have to keep as mine. Do you feel that first of all? And second, what do you do with that when you have conflicting feelings and emotions and beliefs coming forward? Yeah, for sure. I, I probably go through that, you know, multiple times a day, you know, where there's like these two, you know, opposing thoughts or belief systems going on in my head. I think, again, it comes back to this idea of, you know, the only way out is through is that the more that I fight those thoughts, the more that they stay in my consciousness. It's sort of, it's, I liken it to the idea of meditation. You know, I can't tell you how many people will come to me and say, I have no idea how to meditate. I can't, I can't empty my mind. And I'm like, that's not the point of meditation. (laughs) If you could empty your mind, you would not be alive, right? As long as you're living and breathing, you, you will be thinking there are going to be thoughts going through your head. That's not the point of meditation, right? It's to quiet your mind. And the thoughts will still go through, right? So it's sort of like this observation, right? Being the observer, sitting outside of yourself and observing what's going on that these two 
different belief systems are, are both talking, right? And in a way, you don't want to necessarily believe either of them because life isn't about being up here or being down here. You're going to go through periods of being up there and being down there. And so getting attached to either, I think is dangerous. Mm. I think that trying to stay sort of understanding that there are going to be these highs and these lows and these positive thoughts and beliefs and these negative thoughts and beliefs and realize that neither are actually completely true. I mean, that's the reality. And that somewhere in between those lies the truth. So then I think that you can take in the information from both of those opposing viewpoints or belief systems or voices or whatever you want to call them and say, okay, well, there's probably something to learn from each of those. And let me see how I can not find a middle path, but learn from both of those voices. I love that. I don't know that I... Yeah. I don't know that I answered your question. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. It's a, someone said, I don't know who it was. Um, a couple of weeks ago I heard it and I'm like, that makes sense. There's capital T truths and then there's lowercase T truths. Mm-hmm. And there's like this idea of the ever evolving truth within us, because what I believe to be true today could look differently tomorrow if I'm given different information or have a different experience, but we only know what we know based on our limited experience and context of the world. But we think that, you know, especially as kids, you think that everything is like what you've seen at age three, age five, because that's all you know. And then all of a sudden you go to college and then you get older and you move and you see, oh, there's like all these other things. I had no idea. Right. And you're, right. I, I love the way you say the attachment because we can't get attached to it because it can be ever evolving and changing and shifting within us. Yeah. And it's actually exactly something that I've talked a lot with my kids about, you know, in recent years as they've both, you know, become adults and, you know, gone off to college. My, my son graduated from college last year. My daughter is in college. And I always say to them, because they're at this point where they're starting to make those big decisions on their own, right. With some counsel and advice from me and my husband, but mostly on their own. And they're always they are a little panicked about, am I making the right decision? And I just keep saying exactly this to them. You can only make decisions based on the information you have right now. It can change tomorrow. But if you keep worrying about every permutation, every possibility, every possible scenario, you will never make a decision and you will be so stressed out all the time make a decision, make the decisions based on the information you have now, because it's exactly as you said, Kelly, it's always changing. What is true today may not be true tomorrow, right? And it may not be true for you. So be okay with just making the decisions and and telling yourself, I'm doing the best I can with the information I've been presented right now. And I think that that's true with almost every small decision that you make every day is, you know, what do I know to be true for myself right now in this moment? I'm going to move forward based on that. And that's all you can do. And allowing yourself to change your mind and showing yourself grace when that happens. And that's exactly it, right? Because what was true even a few hours ago may not be true now. And allow yourself the grace to make a different decision, to change your mind. There's so much negative stigma with changing your mind. And I think, especially when it, when, when you're a woman, (laughs) when you, uh, you know, when you identify as a woman, when you present as a woman, 
there is this sort of negative stigma attached to this idea that, oh, well, you know, changing your mind is just like being fickle and blah, 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 and all that stuff. Um, and I think that's such a generalization. I don't think that that's true at all. And I think it diminishes the power of intuition that we're tapping into. You know, when you're in your feminine energy and you're tapping into that intuition, you might be getting signs and signals that are telling you something different than just a few hours ago. So what's wrong with acting on that intuition? Mm. Nothing, right? It's the judgment from the outside world that prevents us from tapping into that intuition. You know, when my daughter went away to college, one of the first, you know, me and my husband, of course, you know, sat her down, all these things like, be careful about this because we have to have those discussions. It wasn't like when we went to college and we could go to keg parties and not worry about (laughs) someone putting all kinds of stuff into the, into the big plastic garbage can, you know, lined with whatever punch it was. Right. I mean, and, you know, I used to tell, I, I told my daughter, I said, the moment that you have the intuition that there is something off, believe it. Don't second guess your intuition. Even if you feel like you might be overreacting, trust it. And it's not just because she's a girl. I've actually said this to my son too, because that's that divine feminine that you're tapping into. That's in every human being, regardless of whether you're a male or a female, that's different than feminine and masculine energy. I know, you know, this, you talk about this, right? But I think that there's something about that, like allow yourself to, to be in that intuition. So I think all of these topics sort of go together of this, like, there's this negative stigma put upon the intuition, the, the knowledge that's coming from within you, telling you things we just disregard it in this society. You know, it's, it's such a big part of the work that I do with, you know, helping people reaccess the healing power that they have within because they've been so programmed to ignore it. Right. Their entire lives since they were little. You know, I write about it in my book about this whole, you know, I realized that, you know, my kids were being taught to, you know, play in groups and, and, and help other kids or, you know, like do group projects, take turns, all this stuff. But how much was I teaching them to actually listen to themselves also and be okay with them questioning? No, I don't feel like doing that. No, I don't agree with that. And not just, I don't agree with that, but like, I don't want to do that. You know, being able to say that when you're young and then because and and the reason is because I want to do something else or my intuition is telling me to do something else. Right. So I think that that's actually what happens to most people in the context of medicine. And they show up in our offices and they just hand over their power and say, here, fix me as if there's something to fix. And they don't understand that the power is all within them. I'm just a guide. Right. So it's all kind of wrapped together. I've gone on a completely different tangent. No, it's perfect. I love that because (laughs) what I want to know more about is your spirituality. I, when I started working with my functional medicine doctor, as well as my Ayurvedic doctor, both in LA, um, my functional doctor, Dr. Lekos sent me to a shaman and then Marta Sofer, my Ayurvedic practitioner (laughs) had me do ayahuasca. And I was like, Hold up a second, guys, because I come from the Western medicine background. Same thing. I walk in, give my power away, hand me a pill. Let's do the dance, you know, and this was so different. And I was taught about mindfulness and spiritual practices and 
really getting quiet and listening to my intuition and the divine feminine, all these things I've never heard of. And it rocked my world. And so hearing you talk about this warms my little heart because I know that there is hope for so many people who have access to you and get to read your book and understand that this is really a holistic approach to healing. And it's not about eating this thing or taking this pill or whatever it is. It's really like the whole approach. So what is the spiritual practice and the impact spirituality has had on you in your teaching and also just in that feminine knowing you have now? I think it's that, um, you know, I grew up Hindu, um, actually Jane specifically, which is a smaller, you know, group mm-hmm. within Hinduism. And my husband is Sikh. So we, we have a mixed religious background, spirituality, um, but I'm a very spiritual person because honestly, my parents came to this country and they did the best they could with teaching us, you know, all of the spiritual practices or religious practices. So the spiritual practice that's related to healing in general, but specifically Ayurveda for me is very much about the idea that the energy body is the blueprint for the physical body. And so when you understand that everything about healing changes, everything about health and illness completely changes because you realize that that it's energetic. It's all about flow of energy, flow of prana, which is the vital life force energy. And how do you access that energy. Well, it's by being out in nature. It's by being in tune with nature. It's by doing breath practice. It's by mindfulness and meditation and yoga and all of these things are asana specifically, right? All of these different things combine together to help that flow of energy continue in your body, mind, and spirit. And I think there's also this idea that it's a, that there's a universal intelligence that is available at any moment and it's infinite for everybody. And so when you do get quiet and still and not, not trying to like get rid of the thoughts from your head again, right. But just getting quiet and still there is that universal intelligence, whatever you want to call it, God, spirit, divine feminine, whatever it is to you that has so much infinite intelligence that will be given to you. It may not be necessarily positive or negative in the way that we look at positive and negative in our conscious minds as, as little minds of human nature, right? (laughs) But it is information. Um, But we have to be willing to go there. We have to be willing to experience that and to be open to it. And then to discern what we want to do with that information. I'm not saying you have to take it, you know, at face value, you have to, or you have to believe it, that there is discernment. There's, there's this information. So I think that the spiritual piece is this energy, the intelligence that's available. So beautiful. I love the way you describe that. That's so beautiful. (laughs) I would love to know what it is you wish for women. Damn, you ask hard questions. <laughs> wow. <laughs> my mind is one. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do I say to that? So I don't know that I could say it's only for women because, again, I, I so believe in the divine feminine, divine masculine. 
and that those things are all within us. I, I wish for all of us, especially women, but also men to tap into the feminine knowing that they have within them and to stop pushing it away. The culture that we live in, in the United States and Western culture is so, it just, it makes the feminine, all these beautiful feminine qualities and powers, it makes them so negative. It, it just is always trying to push them down in people. And part of being a whole human being is accessing both of those things, you know, the doing with the being, you know, the logic with the intuition, like they're, they're, pol- they're opposites, just like in Ayurveda, you need both to balance. And so my wish would be for, for women, but all human beings to, to allow that feminine power and knowledge to be more part of their daily life and how, how they move about in the world. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for being so transparent and raw and showing up the way you do. I'm so excited for people to get to know this aspect of you. And I just, from my perspective, I love I love the way you are of service in your heart. And I, I feel your intention behind everything you do in wanting to help people find themselves and feel better and be vibrant and get the most out of life. And it's it's really beautiful to witness. And so I just want to thank you for the way you show up and, and being of service in that way, because you're an amazing example for all of us and what's possible when we really get quiet and are in alignment with what feels right to us. So thank you, Avanti. Thank you, Kelly. It's been lovely talking to you and really helpful for me, actually. It's sometimes really nice to be on the other end of being asked these hard questions because it forces me to think again and, and reawaken some of those things that maybe I've been pushing down. So thank you for doing that for me. You're welcome. If you love this podcast, and I so hope you did, please subscribe. That way you'll get real-time updates anytime I post a new episode. And if you're feeling really inspired, please leave a review so that others can find this podcast more easily. If you want to learn more, visit me on the interwebs at avantikumarsingh.com and you can subscribe to my newsletter where I send exclusive invites to my events, special announcements, and give you more self-healing tools and tips. And if you want to hang out even more with me, I spend most of my time on Instagram. You can find me at Avanti Kumar Singh, and we can connect more there. Until next time, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing, because healing starts within.